So we are, as I mentioned, we're beginning a new series, and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's what we're going to be looking, but we're getting a new series called Church Life, I, I mentioned this last week, and so we're beginning this week, uh, Church Life, and the first aspect of church life that we're going to focus on is membership, and so that's, that's why we have, have those books available. But as we begin, I, I want to start with, with a question it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it out loud. But my question is, what is a healthy church? What is a healthy church? How would you define a healthy church? How would you describe it? How would you go identifying a healthy church? Would you know one if you saw one? What are some signs or some marks of health when it comes to a, a local church? Like I said, I don't, don't intend for you to answer out loud, but, but I do wonder how you would answer that question. What is a healthy church? Criteria, tests. How do, how do you measure health in a church? Can the type of music be used to determine the health of a church? Maybe an organ and a piano, are, are they signs of health? Maybe drums and guitars, are they signs of health? Can the personality of the preacher be used to determine the health of a church? His attire, a tie, is that a sign of health? Skinny jeans, is that a sign of health? The personality of the preacher, is, is a funny preacher a sign of health? A serious preacher a sign of health? An applicable preacher a sign of health? A boring preacher, is that a sign of health? Can the, can the church budget be used to determine the health of a church? Big budget, does that mean health? Small budget, does that mean health? Can opportunities to serve and get involved be used to determine the health of a church? Well, there's lots of ways to serve. That's a healthy church. Can the state of a particular ministry of a church be used to determine its health? Is a thriving, packed children's ministry evidence of health? An exciting and active youth ministry, is that sign of health? Community involvement, is that a sign of health? An active ministry for senior citizens, is that a sign of health? Lots of things, lots of questions, and hopefully by, by just me listing through some of these criteria, hopefully you've realized that none of these things in and of themselves, can determine whether a church is healthy or not. The music can be traditional or contemporary. The pastor can wear a tie or jeans. The budget can be big or small. There can be a big youth group or no youth group. Healthy churches are not and, and should not be determined by these things. They just aren't conclusive. They're not sure signs of health. So how do we know what health looks like when it comes to a church? How is it measured? Well, this subject, this topic is going to be our focus over the next two, two or three months. We're starting the series today, as I mentioned, called Church Life. And over the next several months, we're going to look at two main categories of church life that are actually, I would say, good ways of determining church health. Okay, so we're going to cover two categories in the, in the coming months that I think are actually good ways of determining church health. Now, they're not the only two categories, but these are two categories that I think any church that claims to be healthy or, or claims to desire health can be, can be measured by or be used to measure. And those two categories are membership and leadership. 
membership and leadership. Membership and leadership are two areas of church life that dictate, I would say, whether or not a church is healthy, whether a church is moving in a healthy direction, or the alternative, whether a church is dying and decaying, not moving anywhere at all. And so to say that membership determines the health of the church means that healthy churches have a certain type of member, a membership base that is characterized by certain things. So we're going to look at that. I think a, a healthy membership is characterized by members who are a certain type of member. And to say that leadership determines the health of, health of a church means that healthy churches are led by certain qualified people in certain and specific ways. And so we're going to look at that. And so for the next couple months, we're going to focus on these two categories as we look at church life. And so this morning, as we begin with membership, we're going to be asking the question, what type of church members make up a healthy church? And we're going to see that there's a, a direct connection between the health of a church and the health of its members. Okay, there's a connection. So, so you can't say, I have a healthy church without healthy members. There's a direct connection. We're going to see that a healthy church consists of healthy members, the reason for this simply being that a church is its members, right? The church is its members. This building isn't Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, right? So, so you should know that. The church, Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, is made up of its members. It's not its buildings and its property. I'm not the pastor of this sanctuary or the, the Family Life Center. You aren't members of this location. Fox Hill Baptist Church is the community of Christians who have committed to worship God together, to nurture and care for one another, and to be witnesses to those who aren't part of us. It's the people, who've uh, the community who have come together, have committed and covenanted together as a people. That's who Fox Hill Road Baptist Church is. The, the church is its members. And so... Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, any local church, and its health is contingent on the health of its members. And so the membership of Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, you should be aware and you should know this, that it, it, it changes, it fluctuates. So some of you have been here a long time. We don't look the same as we did 20 years ago or 50 years ago for some of you. So, so when people come and they say to me, I'm a member of your church because I used to go there. Or I'm a member of your church because, because I was baptized there. I'm going to say, I don't think you understand church membership. Because the church membership are those who make up the church. And if you once came, but you don't anymore, you're not part of the church. Or I'm going to say, well, then your church isn't, connected with, isn't concerned with being healthy because a member who doesn't go to church is not a healthy church member. We, we made that point last week. And churches that are made up of members who don't go to church are not healthy. Right? Do you see the connection? Right? A healthy church is made up of healthy members. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we reached out to dozens of inactive members attempting to get them involved with us again. People that I had never met after two and a half years, two years of being here, I'd never met some people that were on our membership roles. And so we reached out to them, hey, what's going on? Why aren't you here? We want you to come back. And this is why we're going to reach out to, to dozens more members of our church that, that just aren't showing up. Right? That, that's a problem to have members who are not participating because a healthy church consists of healthy members. So I, so I want us to look at what are healthy members. And so the six marks that we're going to look at over these next six weeks, uh, they're biblical marks. These aren't extra biblical qualifications that, that I'm, I'm putting on church members or that this book puts on church members. But these are biblical expectations of Christians. They're just normal stuff, normal things that Christians commit to. 
And so there's not going to be anything groundbreaking over these next six weeks. These are normal, basic expectations, but we're going to cover them in order to ensure that we're all on the same page here, that as members of this church, those who have committed to one another and to this, to this body, that we're all on the same page. And as we aim to move towards health, I want to make sure that we're all starting from the same basic assumptions. And so that's why I mentioned that, that book is a good starting point. And so we're going to work through those those six chapters, the marks of a church member. And as I mentioned, we, we purchased 25 of them. If they're all gone, I'll have 25 more next week. Okay, I, if you want a book, I want you to have it because I think it'll be beneficial. And so take it, read it. They, they, are, they are gifts for you. If you want to donate, you can. But this morning, as we begin that, we're going to look at the first mark, which is that a church member is someone who functions in the life of a church. And so a healthy church member is a functioning church member. And so if you've seen your bulletin, there, there's a little insert that has a pledge. You're, I'm not asking you to sign that and give that back to me. That's not for official record keeping. That's for you, okay? But, but that is what is at the end of every chapter of that book. It's just the pledge saying, I want to commit to be a church member. And so the first one says, I will, I will pledge to be a functioning church member. So we're going to look at what it means to be a functioning church member because a healthy church consists of functioning members, we don't have members who, when you have members who don't function, you have people who misunderstand the nature of membership. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, because there in verses 12 through 27, the Apostle Paul does lay out some, some groundwork for, for helping us understand the role of, of church members in the life of the church. So 1, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse 27. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that, are, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Well, let's pray as we continue. Father, I pray that as we look through this passage and its implications, as we ask ourselves questions about what it means to be functioning church members, Father, I pray that you would, that you would work in our church and in our lives. I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. I pray you'd encourage us where we need to be encouraged. I pray that your spirit, by your word, 
will do the work that you desire. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, so as we, we're not, we're not going to walk through really verse by verse. There's going to be some sections to walk through, but, but basically our outline is going to consist of three statements. And these are three main statements that, that are hopefully going to, to, to build together to make the point that the, that the healthy church member is the functioning church member. So we're going to look first at the body of Christ consists of many members. Second, the body of Christ consists not only of many members, but many diverse members. So different members. And then finally, we're going to see that, that, that members of the body, your body parts, function for the good of the body. Okay, so let's start there with that first statement. The body of Christ consists of many members. So this is how Paul begins in verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, now this letter, 1 Corinthians, and this section specifically, is probably the longest treatment of, of church membership that you'll find, or at least church life, between members. So chapters 12 and 13 and 14 are all focused on, on how members relate to one another within the church. And so, and so this is a good place for us to look. And so in chapter 12, as we look at verses 1 through 11, the verses that came before, Paul is arguing that, that the same spirit, there's this oneness, the Holy Spirit, he's arguing, the one spirit is the source of many gifts. And so there's one source, but many manifestations. Right? There's unity, but diversity. That's, that's how he's setting the stage in verses 1 through 11. And there isn't any reason he's arguing to the Corinthians to be envious or jealous of other people's giftings, because the Spirit has given gifts as he saw fit. The, the Spirit is the one who, who gives the different gifts. And so Paul says, it's the same Spirit who has given the different gifts. And so there's unity in the midst of diversity, and that's God's design, which is where he picks up in verse 12, where we started reading. Because in verses 12 and following, as we read, he continues to make a really similar point. But to make this unity and diversity, to make this point further, he brings in an analogy. And he brings in this analogy for the sole purpose of giving another picture of what unity looks like in the midst of diversity. So verse 12, maybe, maybe if you had a different version, if you have the NIV, verse 12 reads, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form the one body... So it is with Christ, where the King James says, for, as the one, for the body is one and hath many members, and all the members that one body, being many, are one body. And so so he's, he's using the body. There's one body that has lots of members. And that, that's the simple point he's trying to make. One body, many members. And just like the body, Paul says, so it is with Christ. Now, now, now don't miss what he doesn't say at the end of this analogy. So notice he doesn't say, just like the body, though, though many members make up one body, so it is with the church. That's not what he says. He could have said that, right? He says, so, so you got this body, it's one body, it's many parts, and, and just like there's many members, but, but there's, there's one body, so it is with the church. He could have said that, but that's not what he says. He says, so it is with Christ. Now, he, clearly he's referring to the church, and that's the context he's clearly referring to the church, but he says this, I think, specifically because the body of Christ and Christ are so closely identified that to talk about one is to talk about the other. So to talk about Christ is to talk about his body. So he says, so it is with Christ. The church is made up of many members, but it's one body, and that is the body of Christ. And this is what happens when, when Saul, if you remember Saul before he came Paul, on the road to Damascus, he, he's blinded by this light, and the Lord Jesus himself confronts him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? 
No, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Of course, Saul had been persecuting Christians. He'd been persecuting the church, but Christ and his church are so closely identified that to persecute Christians, to persecute the body of Christ, is to persecute Christ himself. Now, we need to keep that in mind because we'll come back to that. But the argument Paul's making back here in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ, he says, is just like a human body, one body that consists of many parts. One body, many parts. And it makes the same, same point down in verse 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 12 from a negative perspective. So in verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So that's the same point. One body, many members. He says it's, it's not one member, but many. And so notice a few things, just, just to point out here under this first point, that the body of Christ consists of many members. First, notice that being a member of Christ, being part of the body of Christ, Paul means and, and understands that to be part of the body of Christ is to have received the Holy Spirit. So, so that's what came before. We didn't read that, but that's what he argues before, that there's one Spirit who distributes the gifts as he pleases. There in verse 11, one Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit, who's the source of all spiritual gifts, is the one who places members where they belong. Specifically, he places them in the church where they belong. And this is important for us to take note of because in this discussion of, of church membership, in the discussion of, of a functioning church member, we can't miss the connection between spirit-given gifts and participation in a local body. We can't miss the connection between spirit-given gifts and participation or function in a local body. In other words, to be the recipient of a spiritual gift which comes through the Holy Spirit, so to be a recipient of the Holy Spirit, who is the possession of every Christian. And so if you're here, if you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit and you've received a gift from him. He's given you gifts. And to be a recipient of the Holy Spirit, to be a Christian, assumes that you are part of a body. I mean, it's basic, but that's the point. That's why this analogy works. Which is why what I said a second ago is so important about the identification between Christ and his body. Just like to persecute Christians is equated with persecuting Christ, so also being united to Christ is equated with being united to a local body of Christ, a local manifestation of Christ. You know you're a part of Christ's body by your participation in his body locally. Which means to say that you're a Christian while not functioning in a local church doesn't make sense. To say that you're a Christian while not functioning, participating in a local body, that's not a biblical New Testament category. And so this is one of the most important things for you to hear today. If you are not functioning in a local church, you are missing the point of your salvation. Now, maybe that's too, maybe that's too strong. I don't think so. Maybe you think so. But at least it got your attention. If you are not functioning in a local church, you are missing the point of your salvation. I simply mean, if I'm a Christian, I've received the Holy Spirit, I've, ge- I've been given specific gifts, I've been assigned a specific role to play in a local body. And so my union with Christ is expressed by my union with his local body. And so, so this idea that I can have spiritual gifts but not have a context to use them, that's foreign to the New Testament. 
And so the concept, follow me here, the consequence of your salvation is that you've been incorporated into the body of Christ. You are a member of Christ. That's part of what it means to be saved. You're, you're incorporated into the body of Christ. You're united to him. And your salvation has resulted in your inclusion into the body of Christ. Your participation in the body of Christ is seen in your functionality, your use of your God-given gifts. Which is why if, if someone says, I just heard this two weeks ago, I, I, I'm good with Jesus, I just don't like the church. And maybe you've heard that. And I get that, right? I get the impulse. I don't want to belittle that comment. But when someone says, I'm good with Jesus, I just don't like his church, I would want to say, well, then you're worthless. Now, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't say that exactly, right? But, but that, that would be because, listen, here's the point. What good is a body part separated from its body? How beneficial is a severed hand? Does that benefit the body? What good is an eye that refuses to see or two eyes that refuse to function? Does the body benefit from those members? Of course not. The value of the eye is not realized apart from its function in the body. You see, the value of a member, of a body part, is not realized when it's separated from the body. It's not realized apart from its function in the body. I think that's the point that Paul's making here. Christians, those who've been incorporated into the body of Christ, function as members in the body of Christ. That's the first point. The body of Christ consists of many members. But that's not his only point. Right? The second point we want to look at is the body of Christ consists of diverse members. So it's not only that there are many members, but there's many different members. So his point isn't simply that, that everyone's an eye, but no, one person is an eye and one person's an ear and one person's a foot. There are many, many different diverse parts that make up the one body. So notice in verses 15 through 20, as Paul continues this analogy, there are many different members. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. And now, now one point is that the body parts don't determine what body they're a part of and, and what their function is. And so a foot can't say, I'm not part of it. No, the foot is part of it because it's been put in the body. But the second thing, the point here, is that the body has room for hands and feet. Right? There's room for both. Both are equally part of the body, though they're different. Verse 16 continues making the same point. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. The body has room for eyes and ears. And not only does the body have room for eyes and ears, the body needs eyes and ears. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so Paul's point as he continues that not only the body is made up of many members, but of many diverse members, and that's precisely the point. Look at verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. That's the plan. That's the divine order. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them. And so the members don't decide their role, nor do they decide whether they are part of the body or not. Members have been arranged according to God's choosing. Now this means, now again, this means that in every local church, every member is divinely placed. 
And every member is divinely placed not to be passive in its participation, but to function, to serve in a way that the whole body benefits from its presence and its participation and its function. Being a Christian, being incorporated into the body of Christ means that you find your place in a local church for the express purpose of functioning, of doing, of grasping or smelling or seeing or hearing or, or walking or bow, whatever it is, your participation in that local body is the express purpose that you've been given in that body, to that body. And so Paul continues in this section, in verses 21 through 27, arguing not only for diversity, so he, he, he listen to the logic he's making. There's many members in one body. There's many different members in one body. Then the third thing he says is that there are many diverse members, and actually every member is dependent on every other member. So there's dependence on the many diverse members. There's dependence. And so he closes the section that we read in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Now now here's where context is really significant. Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth. And so it's a local church. And he says, you, Corinth, are the body of Christ. So, so, so some people might read this and say, yeah, yeah, the universal church, everyone has a part to play. Paul doesn't say, now you, Corinth, are, are part of the body of Christ. And then there's part of it in, in Philippi and part of it in Smyrna and part of it in, in Hampton and, and part of it over in, in Smithfield. He doesn't say it. He says, you, Corinth, are the body of Christ, completed which means that every local manifestation is equipped fully to be the body of Christ in that particular context. So he says, you are the body of Christ, and individually, every single one of you are members of that. And so every Christian is called to be a functioning member in the body of Christ, which is shown in participation and function in a local manifestation, a local church. And then thirdly, the last statement that we'll look at. Body parts function for the good of the body. And so so I just want to ask the question, how how do you function? And so if you're here, you're a member of this church, you should ask this question, how do I function in this local body? If you're not a member here, maybe you've been visiting a long time, or maybe you're a first-time visitor, maybe this is the place that, that, that God would call you to function in. And if he calls you here, you better function here. He's not going to call you here not to function, but maybe this isn't the place for you to function. I just want you to ask the question, what does a functioning member look like? How do you function? Because every local church, not just this local church, every church should be filled with functioning members. So what does a functioning member look like? Now, someone would answer that question and say, if you want to know, you better take your spiritual gifts inventory. Remember when I was in the youth group, those were a big thing. You had all these tests, and you were this type, or this type, or this type. And I just don't think those are that helpful. Maybe they are, but I don't think that's necessary to function. I don't think you have to take this test and say, okay, I'm this type of gift, therefore now I know how to function. I don't think that's necessary. There are ways for you to function even without knowing your exact spiritual gift. So, so one author writes, in the New Testament, we're summoned to give ourselves to other believers in the congregation. To put it another way, he writes, we will discover our gift when we pour ourselves into the lives of other believers, when we get involved in the life of the body. So did you catch that? We will discover our gift, he says, 
when we get involved in the life of the body, when we pour out ourselves into the lives of the other believers of that church. He says, that's how you, that's how you discover your gift. And so you don't wait until you know how you're gifted before you start functioning. Rather, you start functioning, you start serving, you start giving yourself to the church and its members, and you'll discover how you're gifted. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. I think I'll, I think I'll keep doing this. I, I take joy from this. Or, yeah, I, I can't. I can't do that again. You don't say, well, I'm done with the church because I, I can't do that. You say, okay, well, where am I going to serve? I mean, I tell people, if you want to know your spiritual gift, find an area of need within the body and start serving. Just start serving. Start giving yourself for the good of the church. And, and, and others will be able to recognize your gifts. Hopefully others will be honest enough to say, actually, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Or this isn't your gift. Or other people will be able to encourage you and say, yeah, thank you for doing this. You've blessed me. You'll be able to tell. I mean, I think, the, I think there is genuine joy when you're serving in your gifts. Now, not, not always, not indefinitely. Right? Yeah, sometimes it's just, yeah, I'm going to do this because this is what I'm called to do. But genuine joy is often present when you're serving within your gifts. And so if it's not this, then try that. And if it's not that, then try this. Right? Just, just keep serving. Just don't stop serving. Keep functioning. Saying, well, where is my area? The bottom line is that everyone is gifted to serve. Every member of the body is called to function, to serve his or her purpose. And so every church member, from the youngest to the oldest, ought to be asking themselves, how can I serve my local church? How can I serve Fox Hill Road Baptist Church? Not, should I serve? My life is pretty calm now. I got some extra time. Should I serve? That's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, how? How can I serve? And so here's three, three ways that, that members can and should function in the body. Here's three marks of a functioning member. And so first mark, a functioning body member loves the church. Now again, remember the connection between the church and its members. And so a functioning church member loves the church, but, but that means loves church members, right? You can't love the church without its members, as some of you maybe want to do. I love the church. I just don't like the members. I know you can't, right? To love one is love the other. So a functioning member loves the church. Remember in this context, I mentioned this earlier, but in 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about church member relations and spiritual gifts and serving the body. And so right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14 comes chapter 13, now, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't heard that most recently in the context of a church life relationship, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. You might have had it read at your wedding. You might have heard it read at, at a, a friend's wedding. Right? It's a love chapter, and people say, hey, we want to love our husbands and wives like this, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. You should love your husband and your wife as 1 Corinthians calls you to, but the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not marital relationships. One author writes, while there's nothing wrong with using the love chapter in the context of weddings, its original meaning was to demonstrate how church members relate to one another. The love of 1 Corinthians 13 is intended to be the love that is present not between husband and wife, but between church brother and sister, church members. And so the, the relationships of the members of Fox Hill Road Baptist Church ought to be governed by the love chapter. That's the context in mind. So, so listen, listen in that context with that in mind. Listen, 
love among brother and sister is patient and kind. Love among member, brother and sister, it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. Love among church member does not insist on its own way. Love among church members, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love among church members bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I mean, Tom Rainer in the book that we have says, quote, if every church member abided by the principles of the love chapter, we would be a healthy church. I mean, if every relationship within the body of Christ and every local manifestation of that body was characterized by the love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, we would be filled with healthy churches. I mean, there would be revival Functioning church members, healthy church members, love one another. And this love, notice it's not just lip service, it's active. And so in these verses in in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not so much defined as described. And even this description, it's not so much theoretical as it is practical. Love is practical. So not one element of this list is sentimental. Everything is behavioral. So love doesn't make you feel good. Love drives you to do, to act, to be patient, not to be irritated, not to be arrogant, not to do wrong. So church membership gives us, here's what it does, it gives us a group of people, a community of individuals who have committed to the same local body as me, and this group of people are to be the primary targets of my Christian love of my sacrificial, selfless, Christ-like love. And so, yes, Christians are to love all people, but as a Christian who is joined to a local church, you have obligation, priority, to love Christians who have also committed to the same local body. That's how it works. That's how the body of Christ functions. That's why church membership matters. You ought to want to know who you have to love in specific ways. I want to know who I have to love in very specific ways. And so by nature, if you're a member here, by nature of your membership here, you're obligated to love every other member here. Period. End of story. You're not obligated to love only the lovable ones. You're not obligated to love only the ones who are your same age. You're not obligated only to love the ones you agree with everything on. You're not obligated only to love the ones who don't annoy you. A functioning church member loves his brothers and sisters, period. And we do this, I think most basically, by moving towards one another in relationships. You can't love someone from a distance. We do this by moving towards one another in relationships. So functioning church members need to pursue relationships with other members of the body, And that's one of the ways that you grow in loving one another is you get to know one another. Yes, I know you're busy. I know you're tired. I know it's difficult. I know. This, however, cannot be missed without pursuing 
and knowing one another, we cannot love one another. Apart from intentional pursuit, we can't love like we're called to love. And so we pursue one another in order to love one another. We do this by, by showing hospitality, saying, hey, come over, or hey, let's meet at this place. Let, let's, let's have a meal together. We pray for one another. In your Sunday school classes, there's a prayer list in the hallway. I mean, we pray for one another. That's one way we love. We visit one another. I, I try and visit whenever there's need, but, but I don't visit as often as visiting is needed. We've been given lots of visitors. We visit one another. That's a way we express care and love. We, we do it by holding one another accountable. So you say, hey, what, what's going on? These, all these things, all these, all these ways that we love assume relationships with those that we are doing these things for. And so just to make clear, this is a call for every church member, regardless of age. And every church member, regardless of age, can find ways to love the members of this body. So every church member can find ways to love the members of this body. If nothing else, praying for one another is a great form of love. Setting aside time to pray for your brothers and sisters. And so a functioning church member loves the church. Second, a functioning church member serves the church. A functioning member serves the church, and, and he or she does so for the good of the church, or the benefit of the church. So, so this is a difference. This is one thing Rainer, Rainer in his book brings out. The church is different than a country club. You're not a part of it just for the benefit it can give you. The church and its members are served not primarily by paid staff or a denomination or any other external body. The church and its members are served primarily by one another. Membership equates to service. We, we serve and care for one another. And in this sense, function and service are almost synonymous, so that to be a member is to function in the body, and to function in the body is to serve the body. So function and service are, are almost synonymous. So to be a member is to serve. And, and this is what every Christian does. Every member of Christ serves selflessly, sacrificially. This is the pattern that was set for us by Christ himself. And while it's often seen in, in very practical ways, serving in this regard is, is not only seen in action. So I know some of you say, well, I can't serve. And I'm old, my body's weak, I'm, I'm fading, right? Serving in this regard is not only seen in action. I can serve others by considering their wants and needs above my own. That, that doesn't take physical activity. I can serve others by recognizing what might offend them and then, and then not doing it. That's serving them. I can serve others in many ways that don't require physical work. It requires work, just not physical work. And so we are called members, healthy members, functioning members, serve. And notice that there's a connection here between these first two points. Service in the body is governed by love for the body. There's, there's overlap here, so, so that as I serve, I'm doing so with a heart of love and care. So my service is driven by love for others. And so when the body has needs, members consider if they're able to meet those needs. And that, that's part of what it means to be a, a functioning member. When there's a need that needs to be filled, body members say, well, am I equipped for that? Whether it's in the nursery, whether it's in visitation, whether it's around the building, whatever it is, Members who function serve 
when needs arise that they can meet. That's how the body works. And so functioning members, their members function by serving the church. And then finally, a functioning church member needs the church. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 12 assumes that every member is important and that every member is dependent upon the other members. Right? That's part, there's this mutual dependence. And so when one body part is MIA, is out of, out of service, the entire body ought to suffer, ought to feel it. The entire body feels the weight when a part is not functioning, which means that being a functioning church member means that I'm dependent upon other members and their service to me. I need eyes and feet and ears that I am not. And so while a lot of church membership discussion is focused on introspection, and so a lot of times we'll, we'll think, well, I have a gift and I need to use it, so, so that's why I need to be part of the body. That's all correct, and, and I've said that, but there's another helpful perspective, which is the outward perspective, which is simply this. If you are a church member, other members have been placed in your local body for the express purpose of serving you. And so when you refuse to be part of the body, you are robbing them from using their gifts to serve others. And so it's, it's actually a selfish thing to cut yourself off from the body. Because other people need you. God has given you a part to play. And when you are not functioning, you're robbing them of the part that they need to function. I mean, I'll sometimes hear from members who haven't been to church in a while, and they'll say, I, I've been through a lot. I've had health issues, like, oh, I had this surgery, and it was just really hard for me. Or a spouse had died. A lady told me her, her husband had died. It had been really hard on her, and this or that. And, 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 and they continue, well, I haven't been to church because it's, it's been hard. It's been really hard. And, and while I hear that, I want to say, of course it's been hard. Of course you have cut yourself off from the people who've been given to you by God to help you through the hard time. Of course you're not going to be encouraged when, when God has put encouragers in your local body to meet your needs. And you say, well, actually, it's hard, so I'm going to remove myself from the body. That doesn't make sense. Church members are there to serve and encourage and pray for you and walk through difficult times together with you. Don't cut yourself off from that source of life. You need the body. And a functioning, healthy church member recognizes that. And so functioning church members, we function by loving and, and serving and recognizing our need for the church. And so the mark, first mark of a healthy church member is a functioning church member. And so my aim as a church member myself and, and my prayer for all of you as church members yourselves is that we might function together as the body of Christ here at Fox Hill Road Baptist Church. Let's, let's pray.